Hey, church. Hey, before we, before we do anything else, um, can we just pray while we're standing? And I, I just want to really yield to the Holy Spirit uh, and just see what he has for us tonight. But let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before you. And we just surrender our lives to your Holy Spirit. And we just invite him to speak through us and to speak to us. And Father, we just thank you. You do what only you can do tonight. And that you heal what only you can heal tonight. Because there's some hurts that are so obvious to human eyes. But then there are some hurts that are only clear in yours. And I I know in my heart that there have been some people who have been hurting in your eyes. That you want to heal tonight. And so, Father, I just thank you that you you bring in uh, just the balm of Gilead. And you heal hearts and bind up what's been broken. And redeem and buy back what has been lost within the hearts of people. And Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit helping us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Amen. Uh, I told the other services, if you weren't here for those, uh, that I consider myself an official member. Now, after three services, I think I can consider myself an official member of City Life, but I listen to your church every week, and that is not an exaggeration, every week on podcast, uh, because I so value your pastors. Can we give it up for your pastors? And... um, You know, there are a lot of of good teachers and preachers, and your pastor can not only preach, he can teach, and he can sing. That's why I refuse to bring him in too much at Word of Life, because whenever he comes, uh, I'm like, why do I even do this for a living? Like, let's just have Jabin in every week. Uh, But uh, there's something about a pastor that is different than just a a teacher or preacher uh, or singer. Um, there should be a quality that makes them safe. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of safe uh, today. Uh, There's a a lot of wounds within all of us, I think. And sometimes those wounds make us a little dangerous uh, when they go untreated. Uh, If you have a splinter in your hand and someone grabs your hand and shakes it, Uh, the pain uh, might be enough to make you kind of pull back or act a little bit more violently because there's something in you that's been going untreated. Uh, And uh, out of that, um, it's good to have safety in your pastors, amen. Uh, And uh, once again, let's just give it up for your pastors. Amen. So, like um, Pastor Javen was saying, all three services have been different. That was not my intention in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, I was telling Pastor Jabin that one of my um, teachings growing up, my father started at the church. He passed away when I was 17, very familiar with pain, uh, and I feel like that's what I'm supposed to talk about tonight. But one of the things I heard him say repeatedly is, prepare like there is no Holy Spirit. 
write your notes, study to show yourself approved, uh, do your research, research it in the Greek and Hebrew, uh, look at it through multiple translations, prepare uh, like there is no Holy Spirit, but when you get ready to preach and you get on stage, preach like there are no notes. Uh, preach like there's only the Holy Spirit. Um, and so out of that, uh, I, I've really just been paying attention to my heart uh, because I've heard this service is a little different. I, I've heard this service and the crowd who comes to this wants something. Uh, and how many of you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. Um, and I believe God wants to, to fill us tonight. But in prayer, <laughs> I just really felt impressed um, to talk about pain and to talk about hurt and to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with that. And I don't know, that's the one portion I don't know what that will look like. I don't know how that re- resolves. Uh, it could be, you know, at the end prayer or the end worship. I don't know. Uh, and we'll just kind of see how that shakes out. and It'll be fun uh, and seeing what happens. Uh, but um, I just felt so strongly that there are individuals, like I prayed, who you've been wrestling with hurts that no one knows about, issues of the heart, that there is obviously physical hurt. We've seen a lot of that with COVID. And if you've lived long enough, you've seen a lot of that in life of people hurting physically. But we also know that there is hurt that is very inward, uh, that manifests in depression, anger issues, hardness of heart, resentment, pushing people away, edging people out, um, not allowing others to get too close, afraid of being vulnerable, uh, walking around with a, a fake pseudo joy, constantly trying to manufacture peace instead of it being a fruit of the Spirit. And it's because of a hurt. Uh, that has encroached upon our heart, and from that hurt, there is um, a poison, if you will. And that's a strong word, isn't it? I'm trying to think if there's another word, but I think that that's the most apt, a poison that comes through the hurt that begins to be more dangerous than the hurt itself. Uh, It's kind of like uh, we have a a guy in our life, he's very close to us, Uh, he got bit by a brown recluse, Uh, here recently, and did not know he was bit. Uh, uh, You know, with some things you get bit by, like a snake or, you know, a scorpion or something. I guess that's stung, not bit. But, you know, all those types of things. Like you feel the hurt from it. But then there's some hurts that are so surface that you don't know just how dangerous it is. And he said, I I felt something, but it it wasn't like this earth-shattering hurt. Uh, but there was a, he showed us a picture, like a red streak going down his arm where the poison was going through because the bite may or may not hurt. But the bite or the sting of the scorpion is really not the dangerous thing. It's the poison that came through the bite. It's the, it's the poison that came through the sting. And if you focus on the hurt but don't get the poison out of you, you're really not dealing with the dangerous thing. And so, you know what this guy did? This is the truth, because he's like kind of one of these manly men. Uh, You know, he's like, I'll learn to live with it. 
So his wife is like, you need to go to the doctor. And he's like, no, let me see if I can hold a hammer. And if I can hammer with it, he bit him on his finger. He's like, if I can, you know, hold a hammer, I'll be okay. And she's like, no. And and sure enough, like it began to get worse and worse and worse and trying to live with it until finally he he had enough sense uh, to go into the, the hospital and get it treated and get it dealt with, and get the poison dealt with, because the bite was a thing of the past, but the poison was a thing that was remaining. And that long after the bite, the effects of the bite were still going through his system. And it was going untreated because oftentimes we feel like we can learn to live with it. And we can learn to cope with it, and we can learn to manage around it, and we can learn to act like it's really not hurting us that bad, and we're really not that offended, and we're really not dealing with those kinds of things, and we just let it go. But as long as we let it go, the longer it grows. And if we want it to stop growing, we have to to stop acting like something did not happen. Uh, in, the, in the life of the, the book of Ruth, and I, I want to encourage you, uh, if you have a Bible, to open it with us to the book of Ruth tonight. Now, I want to encourage you. I know Ruth is one of those Bible, uh, you know, parts of the Bible where the, the pages may be stuck together a little bit and uh, not one that you open all the time. Uh, but please go to Ruth and don't act like you're in Ruth and really being Matthew and just kind of cover up the heading of like where you are. Uh, But let's look at this tonight. Um, In Ruth, there was a husband and a wife who had two sons. There was a famine that hit the land, and many of you know the story. Uh, They make a decision to leave uh, Bethlehem where they were at and to go into the land of Moab where there was not a famine and kind of start life anew. And all of this made sense on paper. You know, it's not working here. Let's go somewhere else. And, And the supply is running out here. Let's go somewhere else. And they go and they restart life, but things did not work out the way that they thought. Uh, The sons get married, uh, and they're all kind of in the agricultural business and those types of things. Uh, But Naomi, which means my joy, that's what her name means. The name Naomi means joyful, Uh, you know, my joy, a possessor of joy. Have you ever met anyone who just had a joyful spirit? Uh, My wife is here tonight, uh, and her name is, we call her Peppy. That's the only name she's been uh, known by. Her real name is Stephanie, but her older sister, when she was born, couldn't say Stephanie. It came out as Peppy, uh, and it just stuck. Uh, But it is apt because that's who she is. She is joyful, and there are certain people who are like that, who are just a joyful individual, And this was Naomi. She was joyful. She was bouncy. She was probably a seven on the Enneagram. Uh, Like all of those types of things, very outgoing and, uh, you know, just one of those people you like to be around. But um, she goes through this season of life uh, that inflicts an unholy amount of pain. And her husband passes away. And I can only, you know, imagine this pain of of the love that I have for my wife, but I've seen it in my mom. Uh, My mom got married really young. My father was the only man she had ever kissed, and he died at 44. Suddenly, I had breakfast with him that morning, and I went to school, and I'm sitting in science class, and I know he died. 
like just by the spirit, I, I knew he had left the earth. And I saw my mom, like when the, the doctor walked in the office, um, it was actually my uncle. My uncle is a surgeon still, and they had him come in and tell the family. It's like a movie. He takes off his mask, and my mom is sitting there, and I'm there. And he takes off his mask, and he said, I'm sorry. We did all we could do. And my mom fainted before I could catch her. She hit the floor. Pain. And, of course, pain like that, you just don't know how to process because no part of you can plan for it or educate yourself on how to deal with it. There's no classes for that in Bible school of what to do when that happens to your own soul, and we all process that uh, that differently. And I can only imagine what Naomi is feeling, and she's in this place where she has watched that happen. But then, to to cap it off, her sons die, both of them. Both of her sons die. And I have two sons uh, and a daughter, and my children are the just lights in my life. And I can't imagine that pain, but I, I can see it in the life of my grandmother. Her husband died, and then both her sons died. My father and my uncle was a pastor, and he passed away. And I've seen the pain in her eyes, and I've watched her navigate those types of things and how her soul has had that pain course through it. And Naomi is in this place where she is like my grandmother and she is like my mom. She is processing all of this pain. And and it's not just that type of pain, but I kind of watch my mother play this out of the pain of provision, of how am I going to provide for my family, for myself, for my church? How am I going to be enough? Uh, The insecurities of self, that pain like that arises. Will I be able to be enough? Will I be able to hold it all together? And while trying to hold my children together and my church together, how will I hold myself together? Um, So there's not just the pain of like the loss, but it's the pain of provision. It's the pain of trying to be enough, Um, trying to be a good enough father. Will I be enough? Am I enough? And then you have so much evidence that tells you you're not going to be. And the pain of the insecurities of that, of why do I get so angry and wondering why there's something still in your soul that you didn't even know was there until you get in a stressful situation. It's like, I hate that part of me. And the pain of regret of what you shouldn't have said, but you said it anyway, or the, the pain of the, all the things you left unsaid because you don't know how to say them because you never had a father say them to you. Pain. And Naomi, like so many of us, is wrestling with these things. And like we talked about in the second service this morning, she is edging everybody out of her life. She is pushing everybody away. She's telling her daughter-in-laws who seemingly love her, like she had a really special relationship uh, with her daughter-in-laws and like this beautiful kind of thing is, is there in her life. But she is telling these people like, I don't want you in my life. She is pushing them away. She doesn't want to be transparent in front of them. She doesn't want to be vulnerable in front of them. She just wants to be hurt. 
And she has this, this one daughter-in-law by the name of Ruth, and this is where the, the book comes from, this one daughter-in-law who will not allow Naomi to edge her out. She just won't do it. She's persistent. And she cuts covenant with Naomi, and she says, wherever you go, I will go. And your people will be my people, and your gods will be my gods. And God is, is writing a redemption story. That's the story of Ruth. It's a story of redemption. And I believe with every fiber of my being that tonight in your life, God is writing a redemption story. Now, if you're not familiar with redemption, we know we've been redeemed. This is a New Testament terminology. Redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Well, what does that mean to be redeemed? It means to be bought back. That you were the possessor of something. But through something, you got bought by something you should not have been bought by. That it took your life and it broke it. It took your life and it hurt it. It took your life and it wounded it. It took your life and it hurt it. By some shape, form, or fashion, the enemy came in with all of the tactics he can come in with. And he stole something, he killed something, and he took it. He took it in his hands and he destroyed a family. He destroyed a soul. He destroyed a part of you that's been neglected for years. And God is saying, I am a God who buys things back from destruction. That I will not allow Naomi's life to end this way. This will not be the end of her story. And this is something that is so critical in all of our lives to understand. And you have to get this. This is a fundamental of our faith that if it was not good, it was not God. There is a thief, but it is not your heavenly father. There is a thief, but it is not the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a thief and it is not the precious Holy Spirit, but there is a thief. And if it was not good, it was not God who took it. God is not a taker. God is a giver. It was not God who took it. There was a thief. And if you are mad at God, you are mad at the wrong thing. I'm not saying you should not be mad, but get mad at the right thing. There is a thief and it is not God. That's a fundamental of our faith. God is good all the time. And if it is not good, it is not God. But here's the second part of our faith, that God is a God of redemption. God is a God who buys things back. God is a God who redeems the hurting and binds up wounds, which means this, that if it was not good, it was not God. But also it means if it's not good, God is not done. Let God finish the story. You got to let God finish the story. Don't you quit, God. Don't you give up on him. If it's not good, God is not done. Let him finish it. And I'm telling you, I've had the privilege of watching this front hand. I've seen God finish the story of my grandmother. And it is not one of sorrow and despair. And I've seen God begin to write a new story in my mom's life. And she's gotten remarried. And she's seen God show up in a strong way. And I have seen God pick up my life. I kid you not, when my father died. It felt like you had a vase set on a podium that someone just violently came and kicked the podium out from underneath it. And the vase just hit the floor and fell into a million pieces. I'd get so angry, I'd punch through walls. 
I'd get so angry and just clench my jaw because oftentimes hurt in men comes out as anger and you're wondering why they're so angry. They're not angry, they're hurting. Dealing with this hurt, I've seen God change my story. Naomi has this pain. Ruth makes this decision to not forsake her and give up on her. She will not allow Naomi to edge her out. And they go back into Naomi's hometown and watch what happens here in verse number 19. So the two of them, I like that, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? It's like the sevens, right? It's like everybody knows their name. Like they have met everybody in their room. So when they come back, it's like Naomi is here. You want to see her? You want to you be seen by her? And they're coming out to see Naomi. And in verse 20, and she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Naomi is the epitome of my joy. It is this, this woman who is filled with like this courageous bounce and energy in life. And she comes back home to the people who are familiar with her, and they're expecting to see this radiant joy kind of exhibited from her. And she says, that's not me anymore. I am not that person. Uh, Because here's something you have to know about pain, is pain will never leave you unchanged. It will either make you bitter or it will make you better, but pain will never leave you unchanged. And she comes to this place where pain has changed her from Naomi, my joy, to Mara, which means very bitter. And she has this testimony about her that the Almighty God, our Father, has dealt very bitterly with her. That she had a moment in her life that just felt so full. And I love that terminology because I think this is is God's best, that the cup is overflowing and... Uh, you know, I've come to give you life to the full until it overflows, this John 10.10 revelation. And she says, I had a moment like that in my life where life just seemed very full, and I was on top of the world. But she said, now I feel like I am empty. So she said, I don't want to be known by my, my, my victory or my fullness any longer. I am not Naomi. Don't call me that. It wounds me when you do. I am Mara. Now, here's what's very interesting. If you did not know all the pain that she had processed, you would come and have a conversation in your car and be like, what's wrong with Naomi? Like, if you did not know, you know, all the tragedy of her life and all the hurt she had walked through, you would be wondering, like, she was so joyful once and would have this opportunity to become incredibly judgmental uh, about the the bad attitude of so-and-so and why are they so angry and like all of these types of things. Like you would, you would see the bad behavior and you would just wonder like, why have they become so bad? It's very interesting to me. A couple of years ago, 
uh, I had this kid who came into one of our services. I say kid. He was probably 17 years old. And, uh, you know, as you age, 17 becomes a kid. And as your children age, I want to keep calling my children kids and those types of things. But he was sitting. It would be like right in this section over here, like on the second row. And uh, I, when I got up, I looked over and I saw him. And this doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen occasionally when I'm I'm preaching. The Lord gave me a word for him. And he was sitting next to his mom, and I could tell he was not overly interested in being there. Uh, Which, you know, happens a lot in church. Uh, Sometimes people get drugged to church. Hopefully that was not you tonight. Or at least if you were, someone promised you dinner afterwards. Uh, But uh, if they didn't get in a group, I hear that's going on around here. And you can have coffee or, you know, uh, all kinds of fellowship. Uh, So, but I could tell he was not overly interested in church. And I I looked over at him and the Lord gave me a word. And I walked over to him and I said, you have been hitting guardrail after guardrail and wondering why it's hurting so bad, why you keep facing rejection and feeling shame. But out of this, the guardrails that you've been hitting are guardrails that have been set up to protect you, to keep you from destruction. Because there are things that you have been trying to encroach upon that the devil has meant to destroy your life. And one of those guardrails is sitting next to you and your mom that you feel like she keeps having to bring you in line. But the truth of the matter is that the reason why God has placed her as a guardrail in your life is because if you go beyond her, there is danger on the other side. And the reason why Satan has been tempting you so bad is just like Jesus in the wilderness as he sees the power that's about to come upon you and the ministry that God is about to use you in. And so just like Jesus was in a wilderness where he faced an abundant form of temptation, you were in a wilderness too. Satan desires to sift you like wheat because you are called by God to do something mighty for him. Well, come to find out, this kid had gotten, you know, all around drugs and the wrong crowd and like walking with guns and like all of this kind of thing. And uh, his mom just drug him to church that night. And it reminded me so much of my father because that was my father's testimony. He was a drug addict all the way to the age of 17. Uh, So what changed his life is he came home one day And he bent over, uh, and uh, he was so skinny from drug use that his pants were falling off of him that my grandmother started crying. And she said, Lord, if you don't move now, he's going to die. So she would go out to wherever he was, you know, at these parties and whatnot, and place a Bible on his dashboard uh, and on the hood of his car to remind him who he was. And finally, it just clicked. Uh, And he ran out of money, actually, (laughs) and came back home. Uh, And his mom said, if you are going, coming coming home, you're going with me to church tonight to a James Robinson crusade. I was at a local high school, and he ran down to the altar. God moved so strong on his life. He ran down to the altar, gave his heart to Jesus, and was used by God ever since. Um. So this kid reminded me of my dad uh, in that way, of that same type of testimony. So I told him, I said, if you're serious about this, we're going to meet often because everyone needs accountability. Uh, I said, we're going to meet often, and I'm going I'm to stay connected with you. So for about two years, I stay connected with this kid. 
And his faith, it honestly challenged mine. Have you ever been around someone's faith that, like, challenges yours? Uh, Is that anybody else, uh, like, out of this, uh, like, just amazing faith and attitude? Like, I couldn't take him into a restaurant without him witnessing to, like, five people. And, like, he's over there laying hands on people in the corner. I'm like, this is great. And I'm like, I think I should be doing this. You know, like these kinds of things. So it was really convicting. Like, I'm like, I'm going to beat the waiter. I can beat you to the waiter asking them if they know Jesus. Uh, Like all of these types of, just incredibly convicting. And out of that, like, he was leading a whole group of young people to Christ and just revival everywhere he went. How many of you know, instead of going to a revival, how many of you think we should be a revival? (laughs) Absolutely. Have God be moving through us. And this kid was doing this, like everywhere he went, just this audacity to pray for people and watch God move and just amazing. Well, he was also an incredible pitcher, baseball player, and so he got a scholarship to go to a major university, and I kind of had a little check in my heart about that, and I told him, I'm like, you need to make sure you arm yourself with Christian community, and let's stay in touch, and all of those types of things, but sometimes you just don't do what you should be doing, and he kind of let that drop, and kind of let that, you know, kind of fade away. And I noticed his calls to me became a little less frequent, and my calls to him became a little less picked up. And it was in another state, so it wasn't one of those things where I could just drive up and go. Although, saying that out loud now, I realize that that's exactly probably what I should have done, uh, is just go up there and and get him. Uh, Because sometimes that's what we need, is just someone to come fight for us. Amen. Faithfulness cannot be demonstrated in good times. You don't know who's faithful to you in good times. Faithfulness can only be demonstrated in the bad times. (laughs) That's the only time you can see faithfulness is in the fire. Uh, And so that's exactly what I should have done, but I didn't. And uh, finally, I called him one day and I'm like, what is going on with you? I'm like, you, you need to tell me what you're going through. And he said, I'll be in Jackson on Tuesday. Can we have lunch? I'm like, yes. So we come to lunch. And he had been injured. He had faced an injury with his pitching arm uh, that I knew had set him back with pitching, but also had set him back in everything. And when I saw him immediately, I knew he was back on drugs. Um, and I, I knew that this had just set him back in every way, not just physically, but spiritually. And he won't look me in the eye. Uh, he's been trying to edge me out, just like Naomi. And we're sitting there at this restaurant, and finally I get him to look me in the eye, and I'm like, tell me. And somebody says, well, why would you do that? Because truth sets you free. And you need some people in your life who can hear the 100% truth about what you're going through. Uh, And so I I told him, I'm like, you tell me what what has happened. I'm like, there is no shame. There is no condemnation. You tell me. And all he could get out of his mouth before breaking down into like a horrific mess of tears was I've just been so bad. 
And he's just crying. Everybody in the restaurant's looking. I mean, here's this strong kid. I mean, like he's 6'3", great shape, still single, by the way. Uh, Baseball player, athlete, just bawling like a baby in a nice restaurant. I mean, literally like a baby, can't control it. He said, Pastor Joel, I've just been so bad. He said, I've let you down. I've let God down. He said, I've been so bad. And I I looked at him, and the whole time I'm looking at him, I'm checking my heart because I'm like, God, I need a word. Like this is one of those moments that like I need a word, Lord. And the Lord gave it to me. I said, your, your arm, uh, you injured it. And he said, yeah. I said, now, when you injured it and when it was hurting, they took you off the mound, correct? And he said, yeah. I said, if you would have gone out there and tried to pitch while you were still hurt, Would you pitch good or would you pitch bad? He said, oh, I'd be, I'd be very bad. I'm like, but is it because you're bad? He said, no. I'm like, of course not. You're one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Like, you're so good at pitching that you've got a scholarship for pitching at a major university. That's how good you are. Scouts have come to see you play for Major League Baseball. That's how good you are. You're a good pitcher. But if you tried to pitch while hurt, you would find that you would perform very badly. And then this is the word the Lord told me to tell him. Why are you calling Bad, what God is calling hurt. Because if you are bad, you need correction. And if you are bad, you might need coaching. But if you are hurt, you need healing. And I just sensed tonight that some of you have felt like that you have been very bad. That you have been a bad friend. That you have been a bad mom. That you have been a bad wife. That you have been a bad father. That you have been a bad Christian. And I just sensed like God came and wanted me to tell you tonight, why are you calling bad? What God sees and is calling hurt. And if you keep trying to just get on that mound and pitch while you are still hurt, 
you will keep producing bad results. But if you will acknowledge it is not that I am bad, I am hurting And I need to deal with this in my soul. And I need to confront it with my faith. And I need to ask God for his mercy. And I need to trust God to finish the story. And I need to turn my place of emotion into a place of devotion. And I need to open up. And I need to worship harder. And I need to come in and find more accountability. And I need more people who I can be uh, and have a context of conversation that brings enlightenment into their eyes about what I'm actually facing. And that I believe tonight just a moment where God can touch you. Because there is healing that comes through hands. And I went over into that booth and I grabbed that young man. I just put my hands on him and I kissed him. And I said, I know you're hurt, man. You never had a dad. I've seen the things that he has said to you. And I saw the way he walked out on your mom. And I've seen what one man's wake did to your sisters and did to your heart. And I'm telling you, you are not a bad man. You are a hurting one. And you need to stop being so hard on yourself because you have made more progress than almost any young man I have ever counseled with far less to work with than those other young men. You are a work in progress. You are not the potter. You are the clay. And when the clay gets marred, the potter does not throw it away. The clay's got one job, and that's to stay on the potter's will and believe that even if I get marred, it doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means God is not done. I said, you've got one job, and it's not perfection. It's to just stay on the potter's will. And you come in and you having this lunch and you having this conversation and you having accountability and you turning to the Lord is the very thing that's going to heal your soul. That young man, I was texting him the other day, he's seen God just completely turn his life around. He's begun to reconcile with his father through his life. He has seen his father come to Christ. It's still not where God wants it to be. But thank God it's not the way it used to be. And I just sense tonight there's some of you that just need that. That you just need to know you're not bad. You're just hurting. And that's okay. Because we all get hurt. So let's just have a moment tonight. Let's stand to our feet. And let's just allow the Holy Spirit to help us.
I sometimes, like in that young man's life that I met with, it took a moment in a public place of incredible um, transparency to kind of open up and to ask for healing. But I, I've seen the Holy Spirit countless times in my life respond to boldness of just saying, I'm not ashamed to say I need Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say I need a healer, that there is no shame in going to a hospital. (laughs) And there is no shame in saying I need a divine healer. And if you're here tonight and you just say, I I need healing, Pastor Joel, like I need, I need healing. I've been hurting. And I need a healer. I I don't know the best way to go about this and that type of thing, but if that's just you, would you just lift up your hand? Father, in the name of Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. If you're sitting by someone that knows you, link up with them. Maybe it's a hand around the shoulder, maybe it's a hug, maybe it's an embrace. Maybe it's just somebody you may not know, but their their hand is raised and you just feel compelled to put your hand on their back or put your hand on their shoulder. Father, we speak healing in Jesus' name. Bind up wounds in the name of Jesus. Those who've been walking through divorce, that it hasn't gotten there yet but they can sense it on the horizon of time. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. You are bringing healing and you are bringing life to those souls who are walking through that. Those who've been wrestling with suicidal spirits. We say you leave in Jesus' name. You have no right, you have no place to be operating in the lives of these people. You go in the name of Jesus. Your life is precious in Jesus' name. You were not just born. You were sent by God to accomplish something in this earth. You are a child of destiny. You will run your race. You will finish your course in Jesus' name. Those who have been forsaken, those who have been left, those who have been wounded, those who have been walked away from, those who have been betrayed. We speak life to you. We speak community over you. We speak restoration over you. We speak absolute restoration over you. Those who have lost loved ones, those who have walked through pain and heartache, of having people exit your life either to heaven or away from you on this earth. We speak mercy over you right now in Jesus' name. We speak comfort over you right now in Jesus' name. Those who have felt like you have been bad, you have not been bad, you're just hurting, and we speak healing into you right now in Jesus' name. Faith into you right now in the name of Jesus. Love into you right now in Jesus' name. You are loved by God. You You are loved by city light. You are loved by the Holy Spirit. You will find love here. You will find acceptance here. You will find no one holding your past against you here. In Jesus' name. 
In the name of Jesus. Those who have been wrestling with insecurities, those who have been wrestling with envies and jealousies that have made you like a Saul and just insecure at the praises being sung for someone else, we speak peace to you. We say you are still anointed as God's special person and you are going to be used by God for special things. There is no need for you to compare yourself among yourselves. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. In the name of Jesus, we speak comfort into this place. Holy Spirit, we just speak your life into this place. Make yourself big in this place. In the name of Jesus. Hearts be made whole. Lives be redeemed. Captives, you be set free. In Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Oh, come on, church. Amen, 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 amen. Come on, church. Amen just means so be it. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen, 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 amen. So be it in Jesus' name. This is a year of release for you, a release of healing, a release of of destiny, a release from the past, a release from the shame. This is a year of release for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, church. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and be here with all of you. Uh, I'm with you in spirit. I pray for your pastors. I'll begin praying for you, and I can't wait to see all that God's going to do through City Light. It's a a light that's going to light up the whole city, a light that'll be seen from, from, from corners around the world, a city on a hill. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next time.